and the piano player who stayed right with him the whole works. It was good. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I've got to tell you, I'm excited about the Word of God tonight. Um, I think we always should be, uh, but I just uh, was blessed today and instructed again and just the after you know family camp and not in the pulpit on Sunday, all of the above, uh, I was just uh, chomping at the bit to, tonight. So hold on, okay? And uh, I'll be gentle, but uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing to you tonight, all right? Um, we're back into our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in verses 12 through 22. Uh, we'll read this portion of Scripture again here, but this is the conclusion of Paul's first letter to this church in Thessalonica. And this section really is about life inside of a New Testament church. And we've entitled this section here, it's a series of messages that we've been in, Responsibilities for a Healthy Church. And healthy relationships and healthy churches don't just happen by accident. Uh, they definitely require some involvement and they require some responsibilities that need to be met. And that's the thing that we find in this section of Scripture here. So look with me again at verse 12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil, unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to look at just verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Now, this whole section here, again, is about life inside of a New Testament church and looking at the responsibilities for a healthy church. When we were in verses 12 and 13, we looked at the fact that church members are responsible uh, to recognize and respect the church leaders, to esteem them very highly in love, and to live at peace amongst ourselves. We also looked that pastors had responsibilities as well. Pastors had responsibilities to work diligently in shepherding the flock, to have charge over the church and the Lord, and to admonish the church as needed. We find all of those things. Verse 12, we beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. You find those two-fold responsibilities here, on the part of the church members towards their pastors, and on the part of the pastors towards their church members. And so uh, these are the first 
instructions and responsibilities that we've looked at. But now when we get to verses 14 and 15, uh, we see some more responsibilities. And we're going to look at two things here tonight. We're going to see the people's responsibility towards other people in the church. And then we're going to look at people's responsibility towards principles in verse 15. And so those are the, the two areas that we'll be considering here tonight as we continue this series, Responsibilities for a Healthy Church. People toward other people, and then people towards principles. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word to challenge and encourage us tonight. Lord, strengthen our church, strengthen this family and the bond that we have. And, and Father, I pray that you'd do that in the Lord so that, uh, Father, you would receive the glory in all of it. You'd be pleased with Plaque Road Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look, first of all, at instructions for people towards other people. In verse 14, Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Here are the responsibilities of church members towards other church members. What are those responsibilities? Well, we have to notice some things, first of all, before we get into them. After Paul reminds these people of the work of the pastor uh, and the work of the people towards their pastors, Paul then directs their attention to the responsibilities that the church has to other members. But I want you to notice the first phrase. He says, now we exhort you, brethren. The word exhort here is the Greek word parakaleo, it means to call near, to invoke, or to come alongside. And it carries with it a sort of a sense of urgency. That Greek word parakaleo is a form of the Greek word parakletos, which literally means one who is called alongside. That name or that functions as a name for the Holy Spirit, actually. The Holy Spirit who comes alongside the believers. He comes alongside the believers in various ways. Sometimes the Spirit of God comes along as a helper. At other times, He comes along as a friend. Sometimes the Spirit of God comes along with conviction. But most of the time, and often, God's people need the Spirit of God to come alongside to comfort His people. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, to bring comfort. And so Paul is saying here, I exhort you, parakaleo, I'm calling you near, I'm invoking you to come alongside. It's the action that he's talking about. And he says, brethren, I exhort you, brethren. That word simply means a brother. It's the same as what he talks about in verse 12. We beseech you, brethren. It indicates to us exactly who Paul is talking to here. Who is he talking to here? He's talking to the members of the church in Thessalonica. He's specifically saying, these are instructions for you. The members had responsibilities towards their pastors. The pastors have responsibilities towards the members. But likewise, members also have responsibilities to each other to come alongside. All right, you following this? Is this making sense here? Everybody thinking with me here tonight? The members have responsibilities to each other to come alongside. 
what are these responsibilities? Well, we find, first of all, that we have a responsibility to the defiant. The first part of verse 14 says, We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. All right? Warn them that are unruly. A responsibility to the defiant. Paul reveals here a biblical principle that is often overlooked and neglected in our day. And that is this, that the church is obligated to warn the unruly inside the church. A lot of times people think that's the pastor's job, but not according to this verse. He says that I'm exhorting you, brethren, I'm calling you near, I'm I'm inviting you to come alongside, and here's what the responsibility is towards other members, is to warn the unruly. The word unruly means this, it means unarranged, and it means insubordinate. Unarranged and insubordinate. The word warn means to put in mind, to caution, or gently reprove. In other words, church members are obligated to sound the alarm, to seek to lovingly correct those who have strayed in the faith. Now understand this. The word unruly is actually a military term. And it speaks of one who is disorderly, one who is out of ranks, or one who is insubordinate. And it presents the idea of an officer correcting a soldier who's disobeyed orders or who's not marching in line with his company. He's out of step. He's out of line with his company. There's not unity. There's not harmony. Now, look over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and look at verse 6. Paul writes again to the church in Thessalonica. He says, We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions which he received of us. Now, I brought you to that passage to highlight the word disorderly here, because it's exactly the same Greek word that is translated as unruly. And in this case... In the church in Thessalonica, there were some who weren't working, they were busybodies, they were freeloaders. Look at verse 7 and following. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat, eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we've not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread." And so here in Thessalonica, we find that, that there's a connection between those who were not working, those who were freeloading, and a disorderly walk, an unruly walk, out of step, out of line, causing disharmony and disunity. Why were these people not working? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. We don't know. But it's possible 
that because of their anticipation of the return of Christ, remember we talked about that in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, they thought the return of the Lord was, was either they missed it or it was about to happen. Maybe they thought, well, the, the Lord's coming back really soon. Why should we work? Let's just wait for the Lord. Well, then when he didn't return, guess what happens? Well, people start to have a lot of needs, right? Needs arose, and they had nothing to meet those needs. And so they were beginning probably, it seems, to freeload off of other people because they weren't working and taking care of themselves. And the idea here is, no, man, that's not okay. You, you don't work, neither should you eat. What's interesting to me is that Paul goes a little further in verse 14 because he says if, there's, if there are people who don't listen, there's some real instruction here. Look what he says in verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. The scriptures give us instruction here to withdraw from those who have a disorderly walk if they're not going to listen to instruction. According to the word of God, a disorderly or unruly walk at some point becomes grounds for church discipline. Why? Why would that be the case? Because that disorderly walk or the unruly is going to have an effect on the unity of the church. An unruly or disorderly or an out-of-step walk, one that's not in line with their company, is going to create disunity in the church. 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 10. Turn over there, hold your place in our text, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 10, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, gives some instruction of what the Lord wants His churches to be. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This indicates for us all the, the kind of unity that God wants in a church. He wants the church to speak the same thing. No divisions among the brethren, that they be perfectly joined together. That basically means, that means the same, it's the same word as fitly. To be perfectly joined together. Together In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25, Paul writes to the church and says that there should be no schisms in the body. That word schism means a split or a division. God's will for His church is to be unified with a common bond in Jesus Christ. And a disorderly or out-of-step walk is going to create disunity in the church. It's going to affect the holiness of a church. Remember, remember Ananias and Sapphira when the people were selling their lands and the people were unified together in the church, but Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost? The result of that was that God took them. God, God killed them. And Acts chapter 5 and verse 11 says the effect of that was that great fear came on all the church. The hand of the Lord had a restraining effect upon others in the church 
And it was a positive thing that helped promote holy living amongst the members. Warning against unruliness or insubordinate or a disorderly walk from the members towards each other can also have a positive restraining effect that is going to promote holiness in the body. Rather than allowing that kind of behavior to continue, which only brings negative results. And so we find that instruction in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 to, to, to mark them and avoid them and to remove yourself from them. But before it ever gets to that point, Paul is saying that the church is responsible to hold each other accountable. This is a, this is a huge, huge factor in the life of a New Testament church, holding each other accountable. Paul says to the, to the church members, you have this responsibility to warn them who are insubordinate, warn them who are walking disorderly. And it's not just working a job either, because the meaning means that those that are unarranged, those that are out of line, those that are insubordinate. And you know what? This is something that is little done in churches today. But it's needful, and it's beneficial to the health of a church. We've got a biblical obligation to warn those that are walking out of line. We're to admonish those who are living outside of the will of God. And honestly, brothers and sisters, we ought to be challenging fellow believers to simply submit their lives to the word and the will of God. Brother, sister, I see this in your life. You know what? You need to make it right with the Lord. Submit your life to God. Live with purpose. Live with meaning in the will of God. Because outside of that, there's nothingness. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That ought to be the desire of the members of Black Road Baptist Church. The same desire to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10.24 tells us this, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That's holding each other accountable. One commentator said this, and I, I found it helpful. He said, in pursuing after peace, he's talking in the context of a body, and the peace of God ought to rule in our hearts. In pursuing peace, fidelity was not to be sacrificed. And one of the methods in which Christian peace might be promoted was the faithful and tender rebuke of those whose quarrelsome temper or wayward conduct disturbed the family harmony. The unruly were such as either from lax principles with respect to church government or from pride, or from ambition, or from recklessness, those who refused submission to legitimate authority, their fellow Christians were to warn them. In warning this class of persons, much, of course, depends on the manner in which the work is done. But when it is performed by one true Christian to another with intelligence and tenderness, there is good reason to believe that it will prove successful. Listen, we need that rebuke at times. 
from each other. It doesn't feel good when it happens, but I'm telling you, if we love the Lord, when that rebuke comes, we're going to be like the psalmist who said in Psalm 141.5, Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness to me. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. There's a spirit of humility that sees the graciousness of God in that actually to help put me back on the right path. I can tell you, the other night there was a family discussion going on. And in the middle of that, you know, there's, there's, you want to get your points across and you, and you want to uh, have good communication back and forth with individuals. But sometimes uh, there needs to be a point when it just stops for a second and we need to pray. And in the middle of this discussion, Kara says, okay, we're going to stop, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us with this. And oh man, inside of me, the pride was just like, mm, I don't want to stop and pray right now. But I submitted to it. And we stopped. And we prayed. And it was the right thing to do. It was a gentle rebuke. That is necessary to put us back in the right frame of mind, the right path to be on. We need that. And actually, it turns out to be a kindness. It turns out to be an excellent oil, which is for my good, if we have the right spirit. That's the key, though, whether or not we have the right spirit. Now, you can't control what somebody else does. You can't control how somebody responds. But we can take this admonition that we have the responsibility still to each other to hold each other accountable. And we should warn them that are unruly, those that are out of step, those that are insubordinate, those that are causing disunity in the ranks. The church members have that responsibility, not just the pastor. Amen? What else do we see? Go back to our text there. We see, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. Here we have a responsibility to the discouraged. A responsibility to the discouraged. He says, comfort the feeble-minded. This speaks of those who are faint-hearted, who are weary in their faith, almost ready to give up and abandon the work. These are to be comforted. These are to be calmed. These are to be consoled. And you know what? I would just say amen to that because, oh, how we need to be mindful of that in our day. Listen, we all know people who were once committed to the Lord, who were once active in church, but for some reason, something in their life happened and they grew discouraged and they became faint-hearted and they started to fade away. And now we don't see them anymore. Maybe there are some among us right now who are in that very process. 
We're obligated as church members to reach out to those who are weak and to comfort them. We need to encourage and support them in their time of weakness. Listen, there's not one of us that hasn't needed a little encouragement from time to time because the reality is that life can knock you down and it can knock you down hard. Relationships that are faltering and failing can crush a soul. And sometimes God's people may want to hide it. They might want to try to do the best that they can to just cover that stuff up. But they're weak in their faith and they're faint-hearted. And God's people need to come alongside. I think if it hadn't been for a concerned saint of God at some point in our life, we might be in a place where we're no longer used of God either because of discouragement. I don't want to be one of those that's too self-absorbed or too self-righteous to notice or care when someone else is hurting. There's a lot of self-righteous or self-absorbed people that don't even notice or care when someone else is hurting. But there's a responsibility for a healthy church, for God's people to come alongside and comfort the feeble-minded. Maybe there's a brother or sister here tonight that needs some comfort. Have you noticed? Have you taken the time? To reach out or care. Some of you are too self-absorbed. In your own world. In your own life. And you couldn't care less. That doesn't contribute to a healthy church. I don't want to be that. And maybe... This is a warning, right? A gentle rebuke. Let's not be that. Paul says, warn the unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. But the third one is to support the weak. Here's the responsibility to the dependent. Support the weak. Now, we know that we're supposed to support and encourage those who are weak, but this verse actually reveals a lot more to us than, than what is commonly perceived in this passage. These words are interesting words. The word support here, it means to hold oneself opposite to. It means to, by extension, care for. And the idea is sort of like, you know, the poles of a teepee how they all come to this center point, and all of those are actually supporting the other ones together. Does that make sense? To hold oneself against. The word weak means those that are strengthless, or particularly the sick. It's talking about sheep that are sick. But those who are weak, that phrase, it carries the meaning of this. 
Those who yield easily to temptation. Those that are easily led astray. And now they are burdened and they are discouraged and they are defeated because that they were easily led astray or yielded to temptation. Support those that are weak. This is clearly more of a spiritual application than one that is physical in nature. I'm thinking about this and making, trying to make applications, and it came to my mind that, that Paul ministered in a day of gross sin and immorality. The early believers, they were faced with all manner of temptation and opposition. It wasn't uncommon, probably, for some of them to yield to temptation that was so prevalent in their culture. Some would have even been led astray with false teaching and false doctrine. There were those who were teaching that the, that the rapture already happened. That was false doctrine. There were some who were probably discouraged and defeated spiritually because of the, of the intense opposition that they faced in the establishment of that church. Remember how Paul said, uh, I, I couldn't forbear any longer. I had to know how you were doing. I had to know your state and your faith. If, if, if we had, had taught you in vain. And, and he says, you remember that with much persecution, this church was started. They faced a lot of discouraging, potentially spiritually defeating things. And Paul says we have a responsibility to support the weak. And I think we find ourselves in a society that closely resembles that of Paul's day. Temptations abound on every hand. There's an abundance of false doctrine and apostasy being spread today. Many believers find themselves just exhausted and often discouraged by the constant bombardments of, of life in this world. And those who are strong in the Lord need to support those who are weak. We need to understand that this goes a whole lot farther than just an encouraging word. The idea of support literally means to cling and hold to, to hold up and support. And a simple, hey brother, I know you're struggling with something. I'll pray about that for you. That's not enough sometimes. We've got to be there for people. We've got to stand alongside people. We've got to support and hold people up that are falling and keep them accountable. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. People need God's people who are strong to restore them, to hold them up. In Romans 15, 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And note this, and not please ourselves. That's powerful. We ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. You see the implication there? Don't be so self-absorbed that you cannot see that people have problems, but also be spiritually strong enough so that you can help. Listen, I know 
that helping with other people's burdens or issues is draining and exhausting. But it's what we're called to do, friend. This is not just the pastor's burden to bear. This is church members' responsibilities. Let me tell you this. If you didn't already know this, church membership is not just showing up on Sunday morning and then patting yourself on the back because of how spiritually and deeply religious you are. No, that is not church membership. Being truly involved in the body goes far beyond just being an audience or, or, or being in attendance. It gets all the way down into the involving yourself with the nitty-gritty of people's lives. The real burdens, the real problems of life, the real problems of family, that's what it is. And yet there are many who, well, as long as I show up Sunday, or maybe every other Sunday, I'm a functioning member of the body. No, you're not! Not according to the Word of God. What kind of body part are you? What's your job? What's your function? Every digit, every elbow, every joint, everything has a function for the benefit of the body in your physical body. And it's the same in the New Testament church. Every member should have a purpose. What is yours? And are you fulfilling it for the benefit of the body? Sometimes burdens make it so that people need support. Sometimes we stub our toe. Sometimes we break our ankle. Or our foot. Pray for Lisa. She's got a broken ankle or foot? Broken face. I mean, no. She uh, had a collision with Jordan. I've got bruises on my shins from Jordan, too. I think the common denominator here is Jordan. Playing that human foosball game. That was a blast. I love that. But sometimes you stub a toe. Sometimes you break an ankle. And that body part is hurting. And it needs some support from the rest of the body until it heals. Amen? Making sense? Paul says for a healthy church, a healthy church is one that supports the weak, people who care who are there to support and hold each other up, to hold each other accountable, to give comfort. And then the last part of verse 14 says, be patient toward all men. Here's a responsibility to the different. That's what I'm calling it. A responsibility to the different. Church, this church probably was handling Paul's instructions pretty well up until this point. Patience is something that most of us struggle with. Paul adds this final obligation here that's really a lot harder to embrace than some of the others. 
The instruction is to be patient toward all men. That one is more internal than it is external even. The word patient here has the idea of long-suffering, steadfastness, persevering with patience. Sometimes we have difficulty with patience towards those that we like, let alone those who may offend us, those who might betray us, or those who might speak harshly towards us unjustly. To be patient with them is the instruction. Now, we don't find exceptions here. We don't find that be patient with people unless they mistreat you. Be patient with people unless they speak harshly to you unjustly. No, we don't find exceptions here. And so we have to conclude that we must express godly patience even towards those that are different than us or those that we don't maybe necessarily like or those that have offended us in some way. We've got to be willing to go again and again and again if that's what it takes. You know what it also takes? It takes us getting past our own hurts and our own feelings. But for the sake and the well-being of a brother or sister, we must, Paul says, be patient toward all men, be long-suffering with people. And you know what Ephesians 4.32 says? I know you know it. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the reason. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, there is no offense that someone can bring to you that is greater than your offense to God. And yet God is patient and kind and forgiving. Consider where we would be had it not been for the patience of a loving, compassionate God. We miss that. We forget that when we're being impatient with other people. How patient God has been with me. And my prayer is that we would learn to see others as God sees them rather than, than the things that just come out on the surface like what you did to me. Or you rubbed me the wrong way. Be patient toward all men. These are instructions, responsibilities of people toward people. And quickly, just let me consider verse 15, the instructions for people toward principles. Paul says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Paul concludes this thought with this exhortation regarding our attitude and our behavior among men. These are just basic principles here. And Paul says, he talks about these basic principles of the faith. He speaks of what is expected of us, and then he speaks of what is to be embraced. In the first part of verse 15, he says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Here's what is expected of Christian people. See that none render evil for evil. The word see means to take heed. So Paul's saying, take heed. Here's the thought. Here's the principle. Take heed to yourself that no man renders evil for evil. You know what? It is within human nature to want to return that which has been given. For example, when we're shown love and appreciation, we feel compelled to return love and appreciation. 
However, we're often tempted to return evil or anger for the same that's been given to us. Most of us deal with the urge to get even or to return the favor. But that's not what God desires or expects. The the fact of the matter is that evil is going to happen. We live in a sinful, wicked, evil world. Evil is going to happen. The Christian is expected to rise above the temptation of the flesh and render loving kindness instead of evil. Even when we're mistreated or wronged or betrayed, the Word of God instructs us to show love and godliness. And you know what? We need God's grace for that. Divine enabling for that. Because I don't have the power to do that. And it applies in every situation, every circumstance. As a Christian, we're not to lash out. We're not to seek revenge. We need to express the love of Christ rather than anger or hatred of the flesh. Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That's what's expected. But what is embraced in verse, the second part of verse 15? He says, But follow that which is good. Here's the opposite. Don't render evil for evil unto any man, but rather follow, ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. He says we're to always seek and follow that which is good. What's interesting here is the word follow means to pursue. It means to press toward. This is the goal, the thing I'm pursuing after. But the word good means that which is of benefit. In other words, he's saying pursue what is of benefit to others. That ought to be the occupation to be pursuing what is of benefit to others. And notice this isn't reserved just for those of like faith, although that's clearly expected. But at the end of the verse, he says that should be embraced and shown to all men. To all men. A church that is filled with love, where everyone is pursuing the benefit and the well-being of others, is going to be a prosperous church. A church that's filled with pettiness, wrath, strife, it's going to struggle. It's going to fail. May Plaque Road Baptist Church be known for love and compassion rather than anger, vengeance, or ill will. Amen? It's just real simple. Deny self. Seek after, pursue after that which is of benefit to others. And when we do that, there's not going to be the problems. There's not going to be the pettiness. There's not going to be the ill feelings. There's going to be harmony in the body. There's going to be health in the body. Romans twelve eighteen says, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you. You see the, the urgency there? As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially 
unto them who were of the household of faith. Paul had spoken to this church in Thessalonica regarding their spiritual health and well-being. God has spoken to us through His Word. We need to embrace these same principles and these same truths. So let me ask you this question. How are things among us? Are we mindful of the needs of others? Are we willing to come alongside those who need support and need help, even though it's exhausting? Are we really appreciative of the contributions of others? Do we let them know? Or are we too absorbed with my own self that I fail in these responsibilities for a healthy church? Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I pray that our church will be a healthy church that's made up of strong, committed, compassionate Christians. Amen? I want that kind of a church. God wants us to have that kind of a church. What part do you play in that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you challenge us with these truths here tonight? Thank you for them. Thank you for the reminders. And Lord, we ask that you'd knit our hearts together in love and Christian brotherhood. Father, that we would be, like 1 Corinthians said, of the same mind, the same voice, unity, and I pray that you'd help us to take seriously those responsibilities that are laid out for us that will produce and result in a healthy church. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for loving us, for your care, your compassion, your mercy, your grace, all of those things that you so richly bestow on us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, in turn, Give that to others. In Jesus' name, amen.